Welcome everybody. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Blessings to you um, from Grace Norwalk. I want to say right off the bat that we love you. Thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate it. Um, I want to just simply get right into the Word of God because that's where we are with this service, at least in terms of where we are with the program. Um, I believe God has a wonderful Word to give you today. Amen, somebody. Um, so if you don't already have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and get it. Open it up in front of you. We're going to be coming to you today from the 20th chapter of the book of John. The 20th chapter of the book of John. And we're going to be going through the first 18 verses of this particular text. And again, I just want to tell you, thank you so much for joining us. We love you. I love you. Church family, please know that I've been spending a lot of time praying for you. Please know that the leadership of this church has been spending a lot of time praying for you because we love you. We are so anxious to get back to normal. You don't know how difficult it is preaching to a camera. So we're looking forward to having all of you back in this sanctuary. I can already see you sitting here. Um, Quintana's right up here in front, and Vet and Jen and Lois, and, and I, I know exactly where we sit. Thank you so much for tuning in. But again, I, I am so desperate to have you back here in the sanctuary. So John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Why don't we go before the Lord in prayer before we get into this word? Amen. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much once again for what you're doing in our hearts, for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you so much for this construction that's taking place in our lives. Ephesians chapter 2 encourages us with, with that principle, with that idea that you are working things out in our lives. That we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto all good works. And that includes this process through this COVID-19 crisis. Father, we love you. We thank you so much. We thank you for Resurrection Sunday. We thank you for the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, from the grave. We thank you that today the tomb indeed is empty. And we celebrate that today, Lord God. We commemorate that here today. And we praise your holy name. May you encourage the hearts of your people today. May you encourage the hearts of all mankind today as we as we ponder, as we think about the empty tomb. And I'm so thankful, Lord God, I'm so encouraged to know that even the atheist today is gathering around the empty tomb because he too is looking for a living hope. We praise you so much for that. Thank you for this time in your presence, Lord God. We magnify your holy name and God's people say, Amen and Amen. So John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. I'm going to read the text to you. It reads, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to, went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. 
Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the <clears throat> linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. That's a very important verse there. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Then said to her, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. <clears throat> Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have laid him. And I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. <clears throat> what an amazing passage. I like the parallel passage in one of the other Gospels that actually quotes one of the angels are saying, Woman, why are you seeking the living among the dead? This is an amazing passage concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'd like to share an interesting perspective with you about this particular passage related to the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the season surrounding this particular amazing event. What I'd like to do is that I, I want to kind of pull away from the text in a sense. Because I want us to consider it from the viewpoint of number one, man's condition... And secondly, man's need for a living Savior. Thank you, Lord. As you know, we are certainly finding ourselves in a time of crisis. Men's hearts are failing and billions are desperate today for a living hope. Prior to COVID-19, it appears as if mankind was thriving at a maximum rate. It doesn't take rocket science to understand that man indeed for a very long time has, has been living according to his own understanding with seemingly no need for a redeemer. Unlike you and I, those of us who are believers, we understand the need for a living Savior. We understand the need for a redeemer. And so we have this amazing appreciation for the empty tomb, but that's not the case for mankind. However... Things are starting to turn because it doesn't seem like that anymore. It doesn't seem as if mankind is really busy entertaining himself the way it has been the case for so many years. Things are changing. 
God is doing something miraculous. God is doing something amazing. And the truth is that so many people now in society today have become vulnerable to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In effect, they are in, in search of a Savior. And by the way, that is the title of this message here today. In search of a Savior. People are now thinking about the God of the Bible like never before. The one who revealed himself to mankind from the very beginning. People are in search of a living hope. Of living hope. People are in search of a risen Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. And talking about the beginning, I could imagine how Adam and Eve were enjoying themselves in the garden shortly after God had created them in the beginning. The Bible allows us to understand that there was perfect intimacy with God in their hearts. In effect, there was no need for a Savior at the time. Man was enjoying himself. Everything was perfect. Everything was fluid according to the amazing will of God. What an amazing experience. I would, I would have loved to certainly be, to, to have been a part of that wonderful experience. However, sadly enough, they made the mistake one day of rebelling, rebelling against God. Of doing that which God had instructed them not to do. And what happened? It cost them everything. And indeed, it has cost us all everything. And here's the point. That is when man began to realize for the very first time in history, their need for a Savior. Someone who would step in and resolve the agony plaguing the human soul. That's what they were feeling. That's what you and I are experiencing. To some degree, we are saved and we, we, we are certainly enjoying salvation. I don't know about you, but I'm enjoying my salvation. But it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean I'm not living with this longing in my soul. For more of God. We want to talk about that here today. Now I want you to. Not, and not, on that note. Thinking about what transpired in the beginning. Even innocent Abel cried out to God. After his brother had killed him. In Genesis chapter 4. Verse 10. We, we, we learn that even his blood was crying out to God. From the dust. From the ground. And, and that's the point. After mankind had rebelled against God, man realized his need for a Savior. And man has been crying out to God ever since. That's the story of the empty tomb. Cain was no different. We know that his heart was filled with all sorts of, of malice. But we also know that his conscience had flared up with conviction before God. And that he too was crying out to God. Listen to this particular verse. Genesis chapter 4 verse 13 reads, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. He says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. So we, we know that from the scriptures that he did not repent, and yet his, his conscience was getting the best of him. Why? It's because of the void, the emptiness, or the, the severing of the wonderful relationship that had existed between God and mankind, it was no longer reality in the heart of mankind. And so it was then when man began to cry out for a Savior. And ever since then, we have been in search of a Savior. And so it has been with mankind ever since. We have been in search 
of a Savior. And that's what took place in this particular passage. John chapter 20, if you're not still there in that particular passage, that's what took place in this passage. They were in search of their Savior. It started with Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, probably the mother of Jesus. I'm not sure. Um, and then Peter and John, etc. One after another, the disciples were visiting the empty tomb because they wanted to see for themselves. But remember the title here. They were in search of a Savior. We know that according to the text, they were simply in search of their Savior. They were in search of the Messiah. They wanted to know what had happened to the body of Jesus Christ. But, but, it, but follow track with me. They were in search of a Savior. Why do you suppose that was? Could it be because God has set eternity in their hearts? Could it be because God has set eternity in our hearts and that we have this longing only that He could satisfy, that only, uh, this longing on the inside of us that only God can resolve, that only God can satisfy? Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 reads, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity in man's heart. I think that's an extraordinary passage. In part, it means that we have this insatiable appetite for the eternal, for the supernatural. Isn't that right? That is why when in our rebellious state, we gravitate to the mystical. When, <clears throat> when before I came to Jesus Christ, to, well, I, I should preface this by saying that uh, uh, today I know Jesus, obviously today you know Jesus, and, and you know that the satisfaction your soul longs for, yearns for, desires for, you know that it could only come by way of the, an intimate relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But when we think in terms of the person who doesn't know Jesus Christ, this, this particular verse speaks volumes. They are longing for the supernatural, for the spiritual. It's because we have this innate desire for God. Although it is mischaracterized, misrepresented by so many people living on the planet today. And so we strive for things that, that, that we, we think are going to bring about a fulfillment, but it's vanity at the end of the day. And it doesn't, doesn't do anything to resolve the crisis that exists within the heart of man. And so essentially we are thirsty for God. We are hungry for God. We are longing for fellowship with our Creator. That's the, that's the crisis that's taking place in society today. I know that uh, as of late we've been exalting this COVID-19 pandemic situation. And, it, and it's a serious situation nonetheless. But yet the most important crisis that exists on the world stage is the emptiness that exists in the heart of man. And this particular passage here speaks volumes to at least helping us understand what the problem is. We need to look to the empty tomb because mankind, ever since the beginning, has been striving for a Savior. <clears throat> they are running to the ancient empty tomb of the risen Savior. Imagine that. Mankind, for a very long time, especially right now more than ever before, is running to the ancient empty tomb of 
our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want you to think about that. Think about that for a moment. Could it be that God has implemented a plan? I'm talking about COVID-19. Could it be that God has implemented a plan to draw in the final harvest? Could it be? I personally, I personally believe it. What we know for sure, however, is that he has had a plan for a very long time. Now I want you to consider this particular passage. You don't have to go there uh, unless you can do so quickly. But I want to read 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 18 through 20 for you. Because it speaks to this particular point that I'm making right here, right now. It says, knowing that you were ransomed, operative term, highlight, highlight that. Underline it. Do what you got to do. It says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was, now here's the point, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for you. I stated before reading that particular passage that God has had a plan for mankind for a very long time. And that particular passage highlights that. It says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for you, for you and I. Think about that. It says, The plan was set in motion before the foundation of the world. Therefore, what we have in this particular passage... In John chapter 20 is the fulfillment of the greatest of all prophecies in the word of God. It is a prophecy related to the empty tomb and the risen Savior. Oh, we need to think about that for a few moments there. It's an amazing prophecy concerning the empty tomb and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The disciples were told of this particular day, but it wasn't really possible for them to grasp the magnitude of the message of, of Christ's words. And so they did what they did so many times before. They doubted. They doubted. And it wasn't until Jesus appeared to them later that their eyes were opened to the reality of, their all, of, of it all. The reality of it all. It was after the resurrection when Jesus had manifested himself to them tangibly that their eyes were opened, that they truly, truly believed. I think that's amazing. I think that's extraordinary. And yet again, so it is with you and I today as well. We live with the tendency of wrestling with discerning truth. Isn't that the truth? For example... And I want to share something with you here for a moment, but I just want to be technical. I don't want to be offensive in any way whatsoever. So you bear with me, okay, church? I want you to think about this. What are we commemorating here today? Is it Easter or is it Christ's resurrection? Now, I know that traditionally we have conflated the two together, but that's my point. They are not the same thing. I'm not going to get into that, right? Because that's not the message here. 
But that's the point. They're not the same thing. What is it about the human soul which makes it difficult for us to discern truth? The empty tomb. Think about that for a moment. The tomb has been empty for a very long time. And God has declared this message to us, to all of mankind, for a very long time. And yet we have been unable to connect the dots. The atheist has been unable to connect the dots. And yet I think, at least personally, I believe the scriptures concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ have been clear from the very beginning, from their onset. And yet people still choose to disbelieve. What is it about the human heart that causes us to, to wrestle with discerning truth? That was the point of why I made the, at least tried to make the distinction between Easter and Resurrection Sunday. I personally prefer Resurrection Sunday. That is what we are commemorating here today. We are celebrating Christ's resurrection from the dead. It's the greatest historical event ever. It's the story of an empty tomb, which is, which is what I've been stating here all along. It's the story of an empty tomb. It's, a, it's, it's, it's an extraordinary message. A message dating back to the beginning and one for which the patriarchs of old lived and died for. Just think about that for a moment. And think, God has called us all. And I want to highlight this and make a premium emphasis on this next statement. God has called us all today. And when I say all, I'm not just talking about the church. I'm talking about all of mankind. God has called us all today to give an account of ourselves during this particular Resurrection Sunday. During this particular resurrection season, God is calling all of mankind to account, to give an account of themselves. For decades, this season has been accompanied by attractions of worldliness. Isn't that right? But not this time. Somehow, some way, God has orchestrated a plan to <clears throat> kind of stop us all on our tracks. He has silenced the voices of this world, and He has made it so that all of mankind contemplate the empty tomb like never before. Right now, this particular Sunday, what we are celebrating, that means no more sports or games of any kind. No more movie theaters, no more dancing, no more parties, no more bars, no more distractions of any kind whatsoever. And as a result, when you think about it, I don't know about you, but I've been looking at the statistics. I've been following all of this. Crime is down. Ministers like myself, elders and leaders and teachers and preachers, I'm talking about Christianity. I'm not, I'm not promoting some ecumenical voice or movement uh, that's satanic. I'm talking about Christians. Christian ministers more than ever before, are reaching across the aisle, so to speak, and are sharing resources now more than ever before. Why is that? What is God up to? What is God doing? Personally, I believe it to be a clear message from God. He wants the whole world to truly recognize the importance of the empty tomb. Amen, somebody. That's what's happening here. All of society has been paralyzed. Everyone, whether they want to or not, has to focus in on the empty tomb. 
the risen Savior. Everyone has to consider that whether they like it or not. So getting back to our particular passage in John, John chapter 20. What happened here? Point number one, if you're writing down notes, it is risen as predicted. Risen as predicted. It means the empty tomb experience was inevitable because God had predicted long ago that it would actually happen. No matter where we look within the pages of the Old Testament, no matter where we look, and there are lots of passages, there are over 300 predictions regarding the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And no matter where you look, they, they, we will find this reference to the empty tomb. Now I understand that not all the passages overtly talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But consider this. Uh, according to Jesus in Luke chapter 24, he used all of, it, all of his prophets of old to declare this one particular message. All of his prophets. Even the passages in the Bible, which I referred to a few moments ago, which do not necessarily overtly refer to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But they're still all connected because it's the same thread. It's the same theme that one day... A God-man would appear on earth, on the world stage, for the purpose of dying for your sins and mine, and one day rise from the dead. That's what we're celebrating here today. That's what we're celebrating here today. However, unfortunately, many today, just many then, and all of history, have refused to believe this particular message. Not everybody has accepted this particular message. For, for, for whatever reason, right? Think about, I'm thinking about these Sadducees in my mind. In the, the religious people that Jesus Christ wrestled with on a daily basis. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of any kind whatsoever. And even the disciples had difficulty believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to read it, but we read that in this particular passage today. Now I want you to consider verses 8 and 9. Look at your text. John 20, verses 8 and 9. It says, Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. For three years, think of this, for three years they hung out with Jesus, and yet they still wrestled with truly believing in Him. I think that's extraordinary. It's amazing. How about you? How about you? It's a legitimate question. Where are you with your faith today? Is it personal, or are you merely going through the motions? Now I want to consider a particular passage here. I want, to, I want to consider prophecy um, related to the resurrection of Jesus Christ for a moment here. So I want to read a prediction to you in the Old Testament and then the fulfillment <clears throat> in the New Testament. This is coming from Psalms chapter 16. Psalms chapter 16. Now remember that the, the title here of this particular point is risen as predicted. Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. It says, I have set the Lord always before me, 
because he is at my right hand. I should not be shaken. That's King David talking. Therefore, my heart is glad and my soul, or rather, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I think that's an extraordinary passage. Now we, we know that King David wrote that particular song or psalm. And he sang that particular psalm probably over and over again. But in it there is an, an embedded prophecy concerning Jesus Christ. And this particular prophecy is fulfilled in John chapter 20. Now, the, the, the words are uttered in the book of Acts, which I'm going to read to you in a, in a few moments now. But it was fulfilled in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because King David was prophesying about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Jesus, his soul would not be abandoned or left in Sheol or left in Hades or left in hell. That indeed Jesus would rise triumphantly from the dead. Just as predicted. Now here's the fulfillment. In Acts chapter 2, or at least the words that were uttered by the psalmist many years prior. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 32. And I want to read them. We're going to do some, we're going to do some reading here today. Amen, somebody. Uh, I, I, I'd like to allow the Word of God to confirm the Word of God. Many of you already know, I like the illustrations. If God gives me an illustration, I'll use it. But for the most part, I, I like to allow the Word of God to confirm the Word of God. Listen to this, Acts chapter 2. It says, Men of Israel... <clears throat> Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, quote, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also would dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. Here's the Apostle in the book of Acts, fulfilling the words of King, of the King David in the Old Testament. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may, this is the Apostle continuing on in the book of Acts. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David... That he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing God has sworn with an oath to him that he would not, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. This is the New Testament. 
confirming the oath that he was not abandoned. That who? That Jesus was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Now you should highlight this, these next few words. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. It's the story of an empty tomb. Yes, he came to die, but, but, but that was just half the mission. It's the story of an empty tomb. Without the res resurrection, it would all have been in vain. Amen, somebody. Jesus risen as predicted. Now I want you to see this. I want you to go, take the time, I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, because I don't want you to see this. Again, I want to use scripture to validate the word of God. Especially since we're talking about uh, a prediction, a prophecy from the, from the Old Testament. And my hope, my hope is that there's somebody watching this video right now who doesn't know Jesus Christ. And so I want to use the word of God to validate the word of God. Somebody here is listening to this message today who doesn't know Jesus Christ. And you've been wrestling with whether this thing, this message that Christians have been declaring for 2,000 years, whether it has any merit or not. Well, here's the Old Testament and what it has to say about Christ. This is Paul the Apostle. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse, beginning with verse 12. It says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? To some degree, he's addressing the Sadducees because they didn't believe in resurrection. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise. If it is true that the dead are not raised. Extraordinary. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. That's, I concluded with verse 17. Verses 12 through 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What a powerful reminder regarding the validity of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is what we are commemorating here today. Amazing. Risen as predicted. The tomb is empty, church. The tomb is empty. In fact, he is right here. He's, we know that he's in heaven because he's omnipresent. But I know according to the word of God that he's in my heart. He is in my soul. God himself is dwelling on the inside of me. Risen as predicted. Point number two. The redeemer of souls. The redeemer of souls. We just concluded establishing the point that the tomb is empty. But why did Jesus Christ come in the first place? Why go through so much trouble? That, that, those are the types of questions that unbelievers have been asking for a very long time. And they think those questions are legitimate, right? And to some degree, we in the church have asked a question as well. But we've asked a question from a different perspective. 
We've asked the question because we want to delve into the substance of why it is Jesus came. We know why he came, but we want to know more about that particular message. Listen to this, these verses from Luke chapter 24, verses 46 and 47. Luke 24, 46 and 47. It says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. He says, thus it is written. He wasn't referring to his own words, the ones that were penned at that particular moment. He was talking about prophecy, referring to Old Testament predictions concerning Christ. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. So what's the point? This point is the redeemer of souls. And the point is that he came so that our sins could be atoned for. The book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says in, in nine, uh, chapter 9 verse 22, if my mind doesn't uh, <clears throat> deceive me, that without the shedding of blood, there could not be any forgiveness or remission of sins. Jesus came to die for sinners. He came to die for you and I, so that we may have life, John 10, 10, and so that we may have it more abundantly. That's why He came. He came to atone for our sins. He came, the Bible teaches that in order for man to stand justified in the presence of a holy God, someone had to die in our place. Therefore, Jesus' resurrection story is the account of such an act. He died in our place. I want to talk a few moments, just, just for a moment, 10, 20 seconds, to someone tuning in to this particular message. And you're having your doubts. Perhaps you don't know Jesus. And you've been wrestling with this idea. Why did he come in the first place? Why did Jesus Christ have to die? From cover to cover... In the Bible, in my, in, in, in my Bible, from cover to cover, the Bible teaches the message of a risen Savior. From Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, to the very last verse in the book of Revelation, the message has always been about the empty tomb, the risen Savior, as predicted. Why? So that we may have redemption. Through him, so that our, our sins can be eradicated, so that our souls may be redeemed. You see, there's a consequence to being a sinner. There's a consequence to not knowing Jesus. And Paul the Apostle talked about this in Romans chapter 3. He says that one day, as a result of the fact that we are sinners, one day we have to give an account to God. And if we reject Jesus this side of heaven, we will be cast into a living hell. That's the message of the Bible. But you see, God had a plan from the very beginning. And this point, the Redeemer of souls, is vital for you and I. If you don't know Jesus, my encouragement is, open your heart. Be a little open-minded. Because Jesus Christ wants to save your soul. Because one day very soon, we will all stand before Him. In fact, the Bible teaches in the book of Philippians that every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That every person one day will give an account. 
Now I understand that this is a little difficult for many people to believe. But the fact is, there is more proof for the empty tomb than there is for evolution or any other satanic lie conjured up by Satan. There's more proof for the empty tomb than anything else. Than anything else. So if you want to place your faith in something, place your faith in Jesus Christ. Now I want you to consider the fact that we are under quarantine. Because what we're commemorating here today, not only is it the empty tomb and, and Jesus Christ resurrected, but I want you to think about this concept. Because of COVID-19 and because of this quarantine that we, that we are all under, essentially the entire world is under quarantine right now. Now more than ever before, in history combined, all of mankind is considering, is kind of converging. Everyone has converged at the empty tomb, metaphorically speaking. And more than ever before, at the same time, man is thinking about the empty tomb. Man is thinking about a risen Savior right now because of this quarantine that we are under. I think that's extraordinary. And I think that is the plan of God. God wants us to focus. God wants us to think about what is most important and what matters most in life. Point number three and the last point. Give me just five more minutes and I'll be finished. A commissioning service. A commissioning service. The first point, I highlighted the importance of the fulfillment of prophecy, risen as predicted. The second point, I highlighted the importance of why Jesus Christ came in the first place. Right? Because we got to ask ourselves, why did he come? But this third point takes us just a little, a little bit further because yes, Jesus is risen and yes, I know him. We, we, we know him. But does it end there? Are we to be content with the fact that we are saved and that's it? It's over and done with? No, not at all. There's a reason for why Jesus addressed, and I'm going to get to it. I'm going to read a particular, at least read two verses to you. This will be coming from Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19. But Jesus Christ addressed his disciples. No sooner he reveals himself to them, he goes into this commissioning service where he challenges them to take the message of the cross, to take the message of the empty tomb to the world. And he sent them out. In fact, they lived for that. And ultimately, they died for this particular message. Matthew 28, 18 and 19 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now watch this. The next word, next word is go. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He wasn't just talking to his disciples then. He's talking to you and I here today as well. The idea here is that Jesus Christ never intended for us to keep the gospel message to ourselves. He wants us to give this message away. If there were ever anything you and I um, are supposed to give away, is the message of the cross. The message of the empty tomb. 
the message of a risen Savior. It's too important for you and I to keep it to ourselves. The simple truth is that what did God did for us? Think about that. What did God do for us? Or rather, what God did for us, He wants to do it for others. I'm enjoying my faith today. I'm enjoying my salvation today. But I live with this passionate burning in my soul to share what Christ has did for, done for me with other people. And ask yourself, doesn't Jesus want to do the same thing for others? Here's a verse for you because I want to end with this particular passage. And I want you to think about this because it speaks to uh, this particular passage as a reminder concerning the need for you and I to share Jesus. This is Romans chapter 10, 13 through 15. And if you haven't listened to anything I've said thus far, and I'm talking to believers now, I pray you listen loudly and clearly to these particular verses in Romans chapter 10. Because it speaks volumes. It's a challenge. It's a charge from heaven toward us. To all of us. It says, it says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? I'm going to read that again. How then will they, he's talking about the people who do not know Jesus, how then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear Without someone preaching. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? There it is. There's that commissioning service that Jesus held for his disciples. There's that great commission in Mark chapter 16 verse 15. To go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Paul concludes verse 15, Romans 10 by stating, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach. The good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Number one, we talked about predictions. The Jesus risen as predicted. The Bible spoke about it for thousands of years prior to this very moment. The Bible has always predicted an empty tomb. The Bible has always predicted a risen Savior for you and for me. Why? Why did He come? Why did Jesus suffer at the hands of the Romans the way that He did? And by the way, the historicity of Jesus Christ is irrefutable. It cannot be denied. We have so much evidence proving the empty tomb, proving the existence of of a man by the name of Jesus Christ. A God-man. God Historian Josephus, among others, wrote about him. It is true. It's irrefutable and undeniable. Why did he come? To die for your sins and mine. He died in our place. So that we may know him personally. And lastly, that third point. Because we know him, we need to be passionate ever so passionate about sharing the importance of the risen Savior.
the importance of the empty tomb. Why not start today? There's so many people vulnerable to the gospel today. Even the atheist is willing to take a call from you and I about the empty tomb because there's so much attention given to the empty tomb today more than ever before. And so many people at the same time more than ever in history have tuned in, tuned in to hear the message of the empty tomb. Let's take advantage. Let's take advantage of this. Call somebody today. Somebody needs to hear about Jesus. Uh, a son, a daughter you haven't seen or heard from in a long time. Your, your neighbors. You don't even have to go far. Your neighbor right next door. I mean, you can. <laughs> this is a little funny, right? But you can tap on the wall. Morse code. Get the message across somehow, some way that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is risen, so that the entire world during this time can understand that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the message today. Amen. Church, I love you. God bless you so much. We're thinking about you. We're praying for you here at Grace Norwalk. It may be empty now at the moment, but we're still praying for the church. And we're believing in God by faith that one day, once again, this church is going to be filled. Together, we can make sure that that happens. And together, we can ensure that people who do not know Jesus at this moment can join us when we come right back into this place again. Amen. God bless you, church. I love you. I want to conclude with a prayer. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful, wonderful day and for allowing us to commemorate the empty tomb that Jesus Christ is alive. And that he is risen indeed. And we thank you so much for that, Lord God. We pray that you minister to us today, throughout this day. That we may celebrate, continue celebrating the empty tomb, the risen Savior. That we may have meals celebrating the empty tomb today. That we may call upon one another during this time. We may not be able to visit one another, Lord God. But may we be at least a little responsible in calling one another during this time and celebrating the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. But Father, more importantly, I pray that you help us, you challenge us to take ownership of the fact that you have called us, you have compelled us, you are coercing us. Mark sixteen fifteen, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Help us to use Facebook Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, whatever it is you've placed in our hands, whatever technologies you have given us, help us to utilize them to declare that Jesus Christ is alive. Father, we love you and we praise you. These things we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. God bless you, church. I love you. Until next time. Amen.